Hi, Taffy. Thank you so much for coming on today. Hi, Alicia. Thank you for having me. Can you tell me about where you grew up and what you ate? Uh, yeah, sure. Um, I grew up in uh, southeastern Michigan in Ann Arbor. My folks uh, were from the Detroit area. And uh, what I ate is <laughs> mainly the main story of what I ate is that I grew up in that healthy, um, you know, whole food hippie home. <laughs> mm -hmm. Whole food meaning the foods, not the store, because that didn't exist right. in our area yet. Um, so, you know, I grew up eating a lot of brown food, brown rice and, um, you know, millet and gosh, lots and lots of beans and tofu. And then sort of these re-engineered uh, foods that my grandmother, my grandmother was the, the head of the household and the vegetarian. Um, mm -hmm. so, you know, she would make things like stuffed cabbage without the meat and, you know, all, all kind of things like that. So, and then that was our mainstay. And then there were a few other things. My dad, his family's from down South. My dad's African-American, his family's from down South. Um, so, you know, like sometimes with him, then my brother and I would eat completely different food, <laughs> you know, so, uh, we would suddenly be having, you know, I, gosh, be at McDonald's or having pizza or something. And so, um, but for the most part, it was that sort of healthy, hippy dippy, <laughs> earthy, <laughs> earth mama food. What made your grandmother be vegetarian? You know, she was, um, I mean, she was way ahead of her time. She would probably be an amazing influencer if she were here. <laughs> uh, she did it for two reasons. One being, um, ethical. She loved animals and didn't, she had grown up on a farm and didn't like hurting animals. And two, she just had health problems in her mid thirties. She was a typical, um, sort of not typical, but she was living, I should say a typical sort of suburban, um, working class life in in Detroit. And, uh, she had health problems and that through her research, um, you know, she came up with, this solution to her health problems of changing her diet, uh, changing her lifestyle. She cut out all alcohol. She stopped smoking cigarettes. She cut out white sugar. She cut out white flour. She became vegetarian. And I mean, of course, there was a movement at that time that she was a part of. She worked in this um, <laughs> a, a food co-op in Detroit, um, you know, things like that. So, but that was her journey. It was about health and about, I mean, she was just a very, she loved everyone and everything, you know, and couldn't stand hurt anything. She didn't like to bring cut flowers in the house, a habit that I have um, continued, mm -hmm. you know, she, she wouldn't, she didn't like to cut a tree for Christmas. She would, she had a, like a little potted fir tree, um, you know. Wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You write in your bio that you grew up in a family of artists and cooks, but I wanted to ask what drew you into working in food yourself? Well, you know, it was a long, it was kind of a long, slow road. I always was just deeply intrigued by food and cooking. And obviously it was a big part of my family, but I didn't necessarily see it as my career goal. I think because it was so deeply ingrained in our family that it just was there, you know, as this sort of backdrop. Um, but as I got older and I was doing, you know, I was working retail and just couldn't figure out what to do with myself. And, and by older, I mean like, you know, my early twenties, um, I realized that 
what I spent all my free time on was food, my, you know, and my love of food and collecting cookbooks and trying new recipes and trying to learn things. And, and that it really was my one, you know, great love, my one true love. Right. And, and, and how have you expressed it in your life? What have been the ways in which you've worked in food and, and expressed this love? Well, um, <laughs> first of all, when I was in school, you know, I would, I was like paying my way through community college, went back in Michigan when I was young and that, you know, like every thing I did in school, if we had a, you know, like a paper to write or a project, like I would always, it would be about food. So, you know, I had to give a presentation in my French class and I, I, came up with a pie that I could make in like 10 minutes in class. And I, I think it was the beginning of my like food demonstration career. I was like, my French is terrible, but if I make a pie, <laughs> they won't care. Nobody will care. So I literally, and I, you know, like, I found this French cooking magazine and just like pieced it, figured out how to give this presentation. Even though I couldn't speak French, my professor was like, what, how did you do that? <laughs> And I just, I basically just stole it out of, you know, out of this magazine. But the the pie was, was this other pie. So I mashed it together and I made a pie. So that the end of my 10 minute presentation, there was a pie for the class to eat, like this no bake pie. So I was always doing things like that. If it, you know, no matter what I had to do, I would just figure out like food would be the way that I would do it. So at some point it just sort of became, you know, I was taking a writing class and everything I was writing was about food. And I, you know, <laughs> my professor was like, maybe, I don't know, I'm going to throw this out here. Like maybe you're interested in food or something. Um, and that was, you know, I just kind of eventually realized like, oh, right. I, you know, this is what I sh should just be doing. Um, right. And that was, then I made the decision to, you know, to get into culinary school and pursue it that way because I thought I needed to, you know, get out of my little pond and do go somewhere bigger to pursue my career dreams. And where did you go to culinary school? I went to um, the Natural Gourmet Institute for Food oh. Health in New York City in Chelsea. Um, yeah, <laughs> I was at the time I was still, um, you know, very much ensconced in that lifestyle of the you know vegetarian veganism whole foods uh and i was wondering like well you know where in the world am i going to go to cooking school like what am i going to do about this you know and then i found out about mm -hmm. them and uh they have since been absorbed by ice by the institute right. of culinary education the, that ice <laughs> not any other ice um and they uh but you know at the time i mean it was it was really it was really interesting to be there. It was a great experience. I made great friends uh, and I loved it. And I moved to New York City to do that. It was a, it was a big deal. It wasn't easy for me to do. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, it, it made my, my life, my career a, a little bit maybe more difficult to get a, a good foot into, <laughs> you know, the culinary scene in New York, because of course, to most people was like, well, I'm sorry, where did you go to school? But, <laughs> you know, but for me, it was the right thing for me to do at the time. And it was a great experience. Where did you end up uh, getting your feet into the culinary scene then? Well, I had, so of course, I had already done some work back home and, you know, with my, my mom had a cake decorating business. My dad worked in restaurants and my grandmother worked in a bakery and I had done some work already with them, when, you know, growing up. So, um, and then I had 
I, when I realized I wanted to start cooking, I had started segueing into food. So I had done some food work in growing up in, you know, in Ann Arbor. And then uh, when I left school, I, in, in New York, I had two part-time jobs. I worked in a little, uh, another graduate had opened this little sort of like lunch cafe place in Chelsea. And then I got a job working on a nutrition study at uh, Teachers College at Columbia University. Mm-hmm. It was, a, it involved macrobiotics. Um, so <laughs> that was how I ended up there. So I was doing those two things. Uh, and, and then I've, I've done so many different, you know, so much different work, a little bit of restaurant work, but again, it, you know, it didn't always like click between my background and, you know, at the time, 20 years ago, uh, being a woman of color in the restaurant industry, it didn't, you know, it wasn't amazing for me. It didn't really, didn't really click great in the back of, you know, back of the house. So, uh, I kind of just kept on this funny path of, different you know doing these different things so a lot of like health and nutrition private cooking you know and so on and so forth and demos and things like that a lot of teaching and um gosh i've cooked in so many different places (laughs) well i mean it's funny because i was going to ask you how you have such a varied kind of uh, portfolio in terms of different diets and different dietary restrictions, which I now very much understand, (laughs) which is that, you know, you went to the Natural Gourmet Institute, you grew up with a vegetarian uh, kind of background. So, but how, yeah, it's, it's interesting that that is something that has both held you back seemingly, but also been a way forward for you. Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. I mean, it was, you know, at one point in time, it it was so unknown, you know, so fringe um, in American culture. It, now it's become so much more accepted or, you know, popular, whatever you want to call it. Um, and I had always appreciated that I had that knowledge and that I had the understanding of it because, you know, you can always the other information and is always there and, you know, knowing how to make something taste delicious with butter is like not really, you know, that hard to do. (laughs) I mean, it tastes good and it makes stuff taste good. When you know how to approach food from a different angle, whatever it may be, um, you know, and you know how to work with a minimum of ingredients or you know how to work with ingredients that might be outside of the quote unquote standard, you know, that always, in my opinion, improves your cooking within the standard because you have more tools to work with or, you know, this wider knowledge. So, and so I was never undone by, you know, walking to a kitchen and finding out that there was nothing in there. (laughs) There was no equipment or there was no, you know, there's nothing good in here to cook or, you know, so I worked in a place where I made, gluten-free vegan soups like five days a week, you know, and from pretty basic ingredients. So, you know, you can give me (laughs) a couple turnips or a bag of lentils or whatever. I'm like, I'm going to make you some soup. You know what I mean? And that is obviously a skill that most of our ancestors have possessed until very recently. Um, But, you know, and for For good reason, right? But, you know, it's also a skill that as a professional cook will really stand you in good stead. 
you know, it's really great to be able to cook without needing to have, you know, the best of the best. Right. Well, you live in the Hudson Valley now, right? What are you doing now? What's your, what's your life like now? Uh, Hmm. Yeah, that's a good question. (laughs) It's a big, it's actually a pretty big question. We, uh, my husband and I are in the Hudson Valley. We came up about six years ago to, um, open our pizzeria restaurant um, that unfortunately is closed right now. And I mean, honestly, it was such a big change. It was such a culture shock for me, not just from New York City, obviously, but from my past life, even Um, very different. We're in, uh, I don't know, um, you know, just a very different environment. So and our lives changed completely almost overnight, because we found a place and just sort of took it on spec and just um, went from our, you know, the lives we had in the city. I was working full time as a cooking teacher. Uh, He was trying to sort of figure out what to do with himself next. And, um, you know, all of a sudden we were just in this business. His brother was supposed to work with us and he didn't. So all of a sudden I went from having this, you know, my job to just having to be, we opened the pizzeria and then suddenly I was in the pizzeria all the time too. Um, so our other source of income was gone and it was just the two of us in this pizzeria and it was do or die. And we were in, you know, I mean, just, and suddenly we were just together 48 hours a day um, and just doing one of the most stressful jobs or, you know, businesses you could imagine. So I just really, there's not really words for it. And then of course the last year and a half, um, just everything was upended all over again. So I'm kind of starting over again. So it's just been one really wild ride, honestly. (laughs) Well, you know, it's clear, obviously, you've worked with your husband, like you, you do recipes, you've also been a professional cook, like, how do you balance kind of how you approach cooking in a home way versus a professional way? Or are is there a difference? <laughs> That's a great question. <laughs> balance. I've, I've never heard of it. I don't know. Um, <laughs> I know. It's I don't I don't. I don't think I do. I'm, I'm sort of this, when it comes to cooking, I'm like this amorphous blob. I don't, it's just, it's just all food all the time. And so I obviously cook differently at home than I did in the restaurant. But at the same time, when we were in the restaurant 12 or 14 hours a day, I cooked all our meals in the restaurant or he did. So um, home cooking didn't even exist. And then suddenly when we were shuttered, and I was home and I was by myself because he was stuck in uh, Montenegro where he's from um, and couldn't get home. I think I was just home by myself. So it was unbelievable going, you know, going from cooking all day, every day for our customers to just suddenly being home alone. Um, But I've always had kind of this porous, you know, I don't really see it as distinctly different. Mm -hmm. I cook at home similar to how I cook, professionally um I mean obviously like I wasn't at home making pizzas all the time but you know I mean but a lot of the things that I cooked in the restaurant you know I would I cooked them at home I think the only difference for me is just the level of um you know prep and the level of service and how I'm plating it but you know I I'm notorious for cooking enough for 100 people when it's two of us so I never mastered small portions and 
Yeah, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> there's the uh, the answer is I don't I don't it's just me it's just me well, that's what I do. Well, you've been also teaching online cooking classes, and you know why did you decide to go that route? They're very affordable, like too affordable. <laughs> I noticed, and I noticed you're doing one called like the art of salad. Like, how are you deciding what to teach, and and why are you teaching online? Yeah, well, th yeah, that one is. I just decided to keep that one like extra affordable because I'm going off the cuff. I'm not giving recipes right. or anything, so I was like, ah, eh, you know. <laughs> Whatever. But, um, well, you know, it came about because I had a couple companies that I was working with as a recipe developer and, you know, doing some um, online work. And so at the beginning of lockdown, they had asked me to do some Instagram lives and just, you know, when, when everybody was just do whatever, just doing anything, you know, <laughs> just to pass the time. So that was how I kind of got started doing virtual cooking. And then a couple opportunities came up uh, you know, in the last few months, and I had, I had already done some filmed cooking demonstrations for a company I work with. So, you know, it was kind of natural. My kitchen, we, we didn't even think we were going to live in this apartment for more than a few months. So like this, I had never even cooked in this kitchen before we got out of the restaurant or got put out of the restaurant, whatever. So it's been weird. and It's been awkward. And that's part of why I've kind of have just kept the bar low because my kitchen is not up to a lot, like a lot of demands um, here. So, you know, but I realized that it was a good way for me. I miss people. I miss cooking for people. You know, I miss being, yeah. I miss my students. So it's different. It's virtual, you know, it's not the same, but it, at least it gives me an outlet to be able to share because, you know, I'm one of those people like, uh, yeah, I do love to cook, but if somebody isn't going to be there to, you know, like share it with, it's, it kind of becomes, right. you know, it's just half of the experience. It's not the whole experience. I'm definitely a, a nurturer, I guess. So. Right. No, I hate cooking for just myself. It's it's depressing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't know. For me, I just like make something weird and then it's like, it's not even satisfying. I eat it standing up. Um, <laughs> it, it's, I think it is almost why I'm, I, I will often plate things nicely and take pictures and, and post them on Instagram. Like it gives me content to like make myself something, but yeah. at the same time, I'm not that interested all the time in eating it because I just don't like eating I like eating alone out at a restaurant or a bar. I don't like eating alone in my house. It, it's so, <laughs> it's simply not for me. Yeah. I, I mean, I know what you mean. I don't mind the eating alone, but if I, but I just don't care then about the cooking. Like I just, yeah, like, exactly. Well, just keep it simple. You know, <laughs> once in a while, but rarely. Yeah. No, I mean, it's my Libra moon. I like to nest, um, no. but <laughs> Uh, you know, I wrote about hospitality for my newsletter this week. And when you quote tweeted, you said, nothing's ever made more sense to me than the connection between hostility and hospitality. And I wanted to ask why, why you said that and why that connection is so clear to you. Well, <laughs> you know, so first of all, um, you know, we had a restaurant or, yeah. you know, I don't know, sort of maybe we still have a restaurant someday. We'll see. But, you know. In, honestly, part of it was just I worked in, you know, food service and in our restaurant for a long time with contact with our customers. Um, you know, in our restaurant, we had constant contact with our customers 
as opposed to, you know, having a lot of front of the house staff. And Mm -hmm. the truth of the matter is there's a lot of hostility involved. People are hostile, (laughs) you know, they feel very like, I don't know, kind of like, and around here, they tended to be like really kind of aggressive and gruff and, and Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, like the first impression was always like, well, I, you know, I don't know you, why do you hate me? Uh, (laughs) And then, you know, so, I mean, there's just kind of that obvious layer of it. But after having worked in this world for a long time, um, you know, the reality is that, and I always think about this for myself, and I think, you know, I had posted something on Twitter about this. You know, I used to work in people's homes and call myself a private chef. And I always, in the back of my head, used to sort of laugh at myself and think, private chef, yes, right. But you do know that, you know, 50 years ago, you would have been the cook, right? Like, you know, you know this, don't you? And I just, you know, there is this strange interaction and, you know, and sort of bristly space between people who are being served and people who are serving, um, you know, my husband would always, always says, you know, I'm your server, not your servant. But the truth <laughs> of the matter is, you know, that comes, they come from the same <laughs> place, yeah. right? It's a small difference. And there is, I think, from the people who are being served, um, you know, a lot of times they actually feel very defensive about <laughs> their needs yeah. or, you know, how they <laughs> treated whether they think that you know if they don't tell you what to do you're not going to do it right or just that you know there's that uncomfortability I mean I remember that working in someone's home you know and in their kitchen and being all day with you know around their kids and whatever it was it was a strange feeling and it you had to keep this sort of veneer of professionalism and yet you're in someone's most intimate space and you're doing something Mm -hmm. so incredibly intimate, you know, preparing the food that they're going to eat, especially when it's right in their own home. And there is this sort of always this undercurrent of discomfort or almost, you know, I don't know, you you kind of have to be on the offensive or they're on the offensive. It's kind of, I thought about it. I thought, how can I put this into words? I couldn't really, but it just seemed so clear (laughs) to me. and so obvious. I was like, yeah, yeah, totally. I could, you know, especially, like I said, I mean, in our last place, it was our place. We had to be so, you know, so defensive, so protective of ourselves. People would walk in and see, uh, you know, a, brown skinned woman, an immigrant, I would, you know, I would get emails complaining about how the staff had treated people, you know, right. they, realized they were talking to, about me and my husband. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I, yes, that it just was, there's, there was so much constant kind of this undercurrent of uh, hostility and, and having to kind of be on the offensive to keep people in their place kind of you know yeah <laughs> because they just kind of wanted to come in and take over if they could um right. so yeah I, it just really resonated <laughs> well I I'm glad for that but it is so interesting as you as you said your husband says the connections also between server and servant like these these are very very thin boundaries between <laughs> between these things hostility hospitality server servant it's yeah and I I think yeah, people just aren't aware of it. They really do just, they're hostile and they want a servant. And 
I, I don't know how to how that changes really on a broader scale. It's uh, interesting. It's funny. I when I worked at a bar, I I ended up being the only employee that ever someone ever emailed about for being rude. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and it was because I like, uh, I think I had a, uh, as I remember it, I had a packed bar and someone needed more time to decide what they wanted. And so I said, okay. And like put my hand up in a way of like kind of gesturing to say, okay, I've got what you said. Yeah. And they were offended by that. And it's like, <laughs> the gall. Uh, it's like, cause I, I put my hand in the air and like pointed to like, kind of make a mental note while I'm trying to remember what everyone wants. Yeah. Um, oh, and so it's, it's just such a strange interaction all the time. And like, now I find my, like, if I ever go out with someone who ends up being like weird or impatient with the staff, I'm like, I'm never going out with you again. <laughs> <laughs> I I can't I can't live like that. I can't be associated with that. Like, uh, you know, that's our friendship is 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 never going to exist in in these spaces. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 weird. It's interesting. You know, and obviously, yeah. I mean, if you've never worked in in the food industry or in service, you know, then I almost understand that you don't understand. I mean, you know, when you if you have then I really am confused by where you're coming from with, you know, I guess, well, I serve people. Now I'm going to take it out on somebody else attitude. You know, like, okay. <laughs> it's the reality of that situation. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, well, for you, is cooking a political act? Um, yeah. I mean, absolutely. I, I would, you know, hopefully sometimes it isn't, <laughs> you know, so hopefully sometimes at home, you know, uh, it isn't, but it, I mean, food is, and food is so political and, you know, everything about the act of growing, selling, consuming food, you know, even the connections between the food and our perceptions of our bodies is so politicized but I guess it it would be impossible for it not to be because we all have to eat so therefore food is a point of you know really powerful control so you know whatever your choices are even if you think you're making neutral choices about your food believe me the ramifications are you know, political. And if you have choices to make, if you have the privilege of making choices, that's political. Uh, you know, if you don't have the privilege of making choices around what you eat, that's political. So, you know, to me, it's just, it just simply is, you know, there, there isn't, I don't think in this modern day and age, a place um, where anybody can just choose to, you know, live off the land and just, you know, be free and make their own food. And, uh, you know, that, so I think we're all very much caught up in the web of the politics of food and cooking and eating are so, you know, boy, especially in modern American culture, yeah. know, just layer upon layer upon layer of oh, social ramifications yeah. and guilt and uh, <laughs> Yeah. No, I mean, because it's these industries aren't regulated at all. The state is not taking care of us or workers 
or the planet. And thus, it's all on our shoulders. <laughs> yeah, but you know, I think that's what they, you know, I don't know whoever they are. I, you know, it's obviously all about consumption and, you yeah. know, consumerism, literal consumption, obviously. But, you know, I mean, about capitalism, consumerism, and money, the almighty dollar. And so I think that just throwing it back on the consumer and saying it's on, you know, it's on you, you figure it out, you do it, you do something and it'll fix it is really, you know, <laughs> I think it's really a scam. I think it's, you know, I think it's pretty, it is. it's manipulative and it's toxic um, because really, you know, we didn't, the average person didn't create the system, isn't benefiting from it. And, um, you know, and then obviously when you talk about less served populations, um, you know, and under, quote unquote, underdeveloped, you know, nations, which I don't know, I was thinking about the other day, I'm like, why don't they call, you know, someplace like America an overdeveloped nation? <laughs> because we are, we're not right. nicely developed, we're yeah. overdeveloped. But, um, you know, as long as it's just po finger pointing and saying, you are know, like, you're responsible, like, as if, you know, me personally, I'm going to change what they're doing so they, they don't have to take any responsibility for it. Um, you know, and it's always just another ploy to, you know, create another industrial mass produced food that, you know, like, well, if you eat this, that'll fix the problem. Oh, yeah. that's weird. I, you know, like my husband and I always joke about fasting kits being sold. You know, I, like <laughs> fasting came into vogue and now you can buy a fasting kit. I don't know what's in it, but you know, I mean, that is like, <laughs> I think that just sums it all up. Like you have to, you know, you have to sell something to somebody for them to not eat or drink. So, you know, I mean, that's the world we're living in. I mean, I would like to feel like it were, you know, it was a little different. I mean, I can make personal choices and I can do my best, but you know what? Like somebody else is eventually going to have to answer for themselves and do something different. Like it, it was going to change. It actually was going to have to change. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for your time today. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> <laughs>